Welcome to the season three premiere of the Room 214 podcast. My name is Vinny Greco. My guests today are the NBP coordinators of theater, dance, and music, Tiffany Lutz, Lisa Anderson, and Elizabeth Korkos. This trio of outstanding educators and artists are not just excellent in their own mediums, but they are consistently teaching a masterclass in collaboration. They have normalized blending their programs to provide unique learning and performing opportunities for their students, while also setting an example for their colleagues what true, meaningful collaboration and planning can and should look like. With that, ladies, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hi. So I'm going to put a little disclaimer on this episode. If at any point during the recording, you hear a loud shriek. One of our guests has a lizard on the loose in their in their house. Uh, so if you hear Miss Lisa at any point screaming, that's why. Uh, but it's an occupational hazard here in South Florida, of course. So, so you all have been in education for some time now, but I'm more interested right now in the superhero origin story of how you became interested as students in the performing arts. Like, when did you know you wanted to pursue your crafts? Like what drew you to your particular medium of art? Well, I'll jump on, on that one. Um, I think I started off as many little kids do, um, you know, with it being like an after school activity that my parents wanted to put me in something. <laughs> and so they dropped me off at dance class and they put me in the community theater show. Um, but then I caught the bug, as everyone says, and I just loved being on stage and being these characters. And I'm not going to lie, putting on a costume is super fun. Um, but I also just love that it's like this family that you find, this ensemble. These are my people and they stay your people for forever. Um, for me, like music was always just a huge part of my family's life. And I grew up like singing in church choir next to my mom and my dad and my sister. And then, um, you know, my dad's side, they're, they're all musicians. So it was really, really did run in the family. And every time like an opportunity came up to try a new instrument or something, I jumped at it. And then finally choir is what choir and musical theater was what like really stuck for me. Yeah, for me, um, I, I don't really remember not dancing. My parents started me in class when I was three um, and it just sort of stuck. I just kept going. And then, you know, by heading into middle school, I just loved everything about it. And I was taking as many classes as I could. Um, and then funny enough, by the end of my senior year, I thought of, like I was determined to quit. That was it. I was never going to do it again. So I went into undergrad as a business major and by second, by second trimester, I was back to dancing and I was a dance major. So yeah, I tried to give it up and it lasted like three months. Yeah. It's, re it's really neat to hear these stories. It, it resonates for me, you know, as, as an athlete, right? Like you, your parents, they kind of push us to try something until, until something like connects. But for all of our students, that enrichment is so important. And as long as they're finding something, uh, but it's kind of, I think we take for granted, like our students take for granted, our experiences are pretty similar to theirs. <laughs> our starting out in something uh, is really as simple as our parents need us to be doing something. So that's really awesome <laughs> that it can blossom into something that we're really passionate about. So Obviously, these three mediums of dance, of music, of theater, they're so intertwined. And to some degree, I think, we, I think each of you has 
had to act or to dance or to sing in many different combinations. So kind of just uh, engage the audience in a little bit of what kind of performances have you all been a part of, whether as a student or as a professional, and what are some of the ones that you most enjoyed or that are most memorable, perhaps for good or for less than good reasons? Okay, so I, one of my favorite performances I know I can, I can speak on right away is um, when I was in undergrad, so I had finally decided I was gonna dance again. And um, I, we had an audition one of those years for a guest artist piece. And at the time I knew this person was um, a, you know established choreographer. He had his own company and whatnot, but I didn't realize like the bigness of this. And I was cast in this piece. Um, but, you know, flash forward to now, it, it was a piece by Robert Battle, who is now the artistic director of Alvin Ailey. Yes. Um, yeah. And so it was this uh, piece that he was sending out to a bunch of college, uh, college programs. Um, and you got to learn this choreography. Um, and the whoever was the teacher, director, the professor got to set their own formations and kind of format the piece how they wanted it. Um, but one of the really exciting things is that we got to have two rehearsals in person with him, which is really incredible. But, but on top of all that, it was one of the most um, athletic, uh, intense piece I've, pieces I've ever done in my life. It was a lot of like really hard hitting movements, um, a lot of jumping, and I just, even though at the time I didn't realize how big it was, I was really proud of it. And so that forever is one of my most favorite performances I've ever done. That's awesome. I think it's amazing, first of all, that we can even like pinpoint that one performance, you know? And But I have the same thing, like I my absolute favorite show I've ever been in um, is Oliver. And it's not necessarily because I like love the music. You know, I never find myself <clears throat> like listening to the score of Oliver. But it was just one of those shows. It was like my first semi-professional show. So I just felt like I was like really working like in the big leagues and um, like every rehearsal was so much fun. It was just really focused and really productive and everyone sounded amazing, right? And you know, the little dancing ability I have, <laughs> I got to use. Um, and it, it just like really set the bar for me about like, like this is what I wanna continue doing. and. Um, you know, even, you know, it just, it, it made me want to pursue music education even more as well, because I just saw like, um, that the directing team was having so much fun with it, you know, and then, you know, the cast of people, you don't expect to click so much with people you're just doing like summer theater with, right? You don't, you didn't know them before and you're probably not going to see them after, but it was just one of the most memorable casts I was ever part of. And like, I still have great flashbacks to the show. And as a matter of fact, now we're doing it this year as, um, our first North Broward all school musical. And I think a lot of that is just because of the impression it left on me like 12 years ago. <laughs> I think my most memorable performance experience is not necessarily my favorite. Um, Ooh, so same part. Spill I, the tea. It's probably the weirdest performance memory I have. I was living in New York and I was cast in a workshop production of a new musical, which was very exciting. Um, so it's being created around you um, and you're in the rehearsal room the next day, they're bringing in new material or they're changing things. And that was very, very exciting as a performer, but it was a production of Alien the Musical. Oh. <laughs> 
And I was cast in the Sigourney Weaver role, and, but I had never even seen the movie before. I was just, <laughs> it was like the lead. So I'm like, awesome. So we're in these rehearsals and there's an actor playing the alien. And it was so, so odd, um, but fun. It was a great group of people. Um, the writers were um, a fantastic uh, duo of young guys. We even recorded a cast album. So I do have that music like tucked away somewhere. How do we not um, know this? Why do we not know this, <laughs> Tiffany? Well, this was before the days of like YouTube and stuff. So there's no, no evidence out there. Um, but it was it was very strange. Unfortunately, I I don't think that the musical has um has taken off. Uh, it didn't get picked up. Fair enough. And Pretty cool hearing these experiences. Uh, and the the which leads me into my next question. One of the things that's really common to all of your different mediums of performance is auditioning. And I, as a casual lover of performing arts, don't really know what it's like to audition for a role but totally appreciate the courage and preparation it must take uh what's it like as a performer to go through an audition but then also like when you're on the other side of the table when you're casting shows or or, or having or putting together a dance team what's the audition like from the other side of the table so uh talk a little bit about it from both sides auditioning is the worst <laughs> yes <laughs> It is. It's, it's awful. Mm -hmm. It's not fun. It, it doesn't get easier. I did an audition like a year ago and I, I, you know, I'm sitting there singing my aria thinking, what should I do with my hands? What are they looking at? Maybe I should do something different. Like, it's just like your mind starts do, thinking about everything except what you're actually doing in the audition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you literally have to think about every single element, and I'm sure it's the same for, you know, all of our disciplines, but, like, depending on what you're auditioning for, you have to, you know, be a certain way and wear a certain thing and, you know, present yourself in a very specific, you know, lens that changes with every audition. Auditioning is so stressful. Plus, I said auditioning was not fun, but I guess that's not completely true. There, sometimes auditions are fun, but it only becomes fun when you really start to not care about the outcome of the audition. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It reminds me of like, so I wonder if, if I know, you know, just again, just in like athletics, right. If we have a big game or something and you have those nerves and you feel like you have something to prove, I wonder like, is there, what's like the mental preparation like of like, do you ever get better at like going on auditions like by, by getting your emotions in line and, and, and trying to think about what you need to do. Does the approach change based on like, just from a mental, emotional preparation, does it change based on the role or is it something you get better at with time? I think you definitely get better at it with time just because um, you start to experience all the different things that can happen in the audition room. So they're the, you're not full, it's not full of surprises anymore. Um, I do think that when I first started auditioning, I thought it was all about being in this like really focused mindset. So this giant warm up and then don't talk to anyone, put in your earphones, no distractions, but actually that worked against me. So I, I had a much better audition, felt good about it when I chatted with the people who were around me. I made sure I was warmed up and then I just acted like it was any other day. 
Um, what? Try not to think about what's happening on the other side of the door. <laughs> yeah. What would you tell, what do, or what would you, or what do you tell your students um, in terms of, of auditioning? Like what advice would you give uh, a young performer, you know, who presumably may have a lot of years of going on auditions, not just in middle and high school, uh, but perhaps professionally, like what's like a, you know, an adage or, or like a mantra they can kind of adopt to, to applying to their, uh, to their auditioning? I think for dance, you know, one of the big things is that even if you mess up, keep going and perform it as if you didn't. Because sometimes, you know, selling whatever you do, you know, with your facials and continuing to go on can give you a little edge. Um, you know, it doesn't always have to be perfect. Um, I, I think that would be one of my biggest things is like, don't let, you know, any sort of, don't get into your own head. Don't let that you know, ruin your audition from, you know, one little moment of like, oh, I went the wrong way or I, you know, did the wrong step. But if I just keep going, you know, it'll help. So I, I think that's one of the biggest things in dance. I think like, um, especially for younger performers, I mean, even up through high school, it's like um, knowing that the directors, the people on the other side of the table really want you to be successful mm -hmm. and they want the best for you. <clears throat> so Younger performers might not actually know, be self-aware enough yet to really understand what their type is or where they best fit in like a cast or what's best for their voice part within some song, you know, which solo was best for them. And, you know, sometimes kids just get their hopes up. They just want this one part, but understanding that we really want the best for them. And that's why we cast them a certain way or assign them a certain solo. Like it, it completely, it can completely change their um, their view of the audition process, right? And hopefully, if you've built sort of a um, a strong community of the arts, hopefully that's how people feel about people at the directing table. Of course, that's not how every audition is. You don't always know the people at the directing table. But as far as education is concerned, you know, hopefully you've built that sort of safe environment where they trust those people to just place them where they're going to do the best. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And advice that I give my students is uh, probably the best advice that I've ever heard. And it came from one of my favorite directors I've ever worked with. And it was similar to what Liz was saying about the people on the other side of the table are rooting for you. They want you to be it because then their job is easy. So yes. they want you yeah. to be your best self. Um, but also, if you don't get that positive vibe the other side of the table if you're not getting that feeling that those people are, are want you to do well then perhaps that's a clue that maybe this wouldn't want to be something that you want to be part of anyway maybe it's not the right experience for you mm. uh, yeah, so you need to feel good as the performer that's really that's really illuminating y'all like I, I appreciate this conversation it's it's something that Ooh, like I, I get kind of, it almost feels like a job. It is a job interview, right? Like when you're, when you're talking about the arts. Um, so anyone lucky enough to see our performing arts productions at NBP knows how truly incredible they are, but not everyone gets to see the work that goes into it behind the scenes. What goes into the planning for a show or performance just from like a perspective of rehearsals and budgeting and coordinating schedules and all the things that go into it. What are y'all doing behind the scenes that, that people who are in the audience don't know about? Something that I think is really important that um, I try to uh, be transparent about with the students and, and teach them that it is a part of um, 
uh, performing uh, and putting on productions is the licensing that needs to happen before you are able to put on a production of a musical or a play. Um, that you, you have to get the rights, you have to pay for them, you have to get permission to do the shows. Um, and that is something that happens before we even begin. And it's um, sometimes a, a stressful uh, part of it, um, but it's obviously, it's a really integral part and uh, something that students need to know it, it's the right way to do things. Well, and along those lines, speaking of, you know, things well in advance is like you have one show and you're already booking your space for the show next year and the year after. So, you know, planning really far in advance. Um, and for dance specifically, you know, we have um, at North Broward, our recital is in April every year, but we start, we start preparing dance wise for that when we start school in August. We're working on technique that we will use in those recital dances. Um, and come December, January, the kids start learning their recital dances and we spend January, February, March and half of April perfecting them. I mean, the kids spend months and months and hours and hours making them stage ready. So, and it's not even just us coordinators behind the scenes, it's the kids. They put in endless amounts of work getting ready for these big performances and shows. Um, I just wanna say there is, however much work people think goes into it, there's more. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's all the weeks leading, it, it's the years before, it's the year before when you're trying to think what would be the best season for the next year. And then it's the months before as you start like actually rehearsing and preparing and gathering things, like the amount of just stuff you have to gather to put on stage um, or, or use or coordinating even permission slips or food or, um, the set, you know, the amount of people you have to like come in contact with in order to just get all the things ready for that final show. And um, at North Broward, I founded the opera program here. And for some reason, we thought it would be a really great idea to perform outdoors. <laughs> and, you know, you, you're planning and then you have a contingency plan for the rain. And then when it does rain, you think, oh, but I don't want to use the contingency plan. Maybe we'll just cover everything up with bags for a couple hours. And then you come out and you hope the stage isn't sweating. And um, just like, you know, you, you're really always trying to troubleshoot and you're always trying to solve puzzles. And it sort of doesn't matter how much preparation you do because what's going to happen that week happens. And, um, you know, I know, I know all all of you have experienced that that tech week that is just like it's so it, it can be overwhelming you know I mean luckily we have a, a team of people here at North Broward that you know you've always got someone on your side but I would say as like as a director of a certain production it can just feel like so overwhelming and then the production's over and suddenly you forget about all that work and it was just the magic of the performance, <laughs> which is the craziest part of all of it. And then you do it all again the next year. <laughs> and then you, and then you have a meeting right after about what could be, what could make it even yeah. better for yes. the next year. <laughs> so it's a never, it's, it's a never ending process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and there'll be times like, um, Tiffany and I'll be in tech week for like one of the middle school musicals and we'll be like, we really shouldn't talk about this, but what show do you want to do next year? And you'd think all of our efforts would be going into the show at hand, but we're just so excited about the next one. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's awesome. We should also so, give a shout out to our theater and opera producer, Miss Michelle Moore. Woo! Yeah, Michelle. She is making a lot of those behind the scenes things happen for us. That's made a big difference in, for all of us in the process. 
Michelle makes all things happen in all of fine arts. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So another hallmark of many of your performances is how often theater, dance, and the music programs come together to create something truly special. In what ways, big and small, do your programs collaborate? And what work do you all do behind the scenes to co-plan for these collaborative experiences? I just wanted to say I love collaborating with Liz and Lisa. Um, and I don't know that planning obviously happens, but oftentimes it just comes from a casual conversation or one little idea. And then the, the inspiration starts and we all just jump in and start making art. <laughs> like Salute to America last year. Yes. Yes. Magical. That was awesome. <laughs> That was awesome. I totally agree, Tiffany. It's like so easy to collaborate with you guys. Um, you know, and like I'm thinking some of the stuff that feels very small scale was actually, um, you know, a highlight of a performance. Like like when um, Lisa and I combined her dance company with my little like acapella choir, you know, it seemed so simple. Okay, I'll pick a song. Okay, you guys choreograph to do it, right? But it was just this like magical performance. And I think it's like one of the new favorite things that we're going to want to keep going, but it didn't seem like this big new program we were developing. <laughs> so I, and then same thing, like um, with Tiffany's classes, like I just love popping into Tiffany's classes and doing a coaching with, um, some singers in there teaching them something fun about you know musical theater and it's just so easy to collaborate when you find you know these artists who are really on the same page as you are especially as an educator as well yeah i was gonna say it's, it's like it's so special to um not only be equally passionate about our own disciplines but the fact that we're just as passionate about working together on them is like you don't find that everywhere and so i feel like the three of us are incredibly lucky um that we all are on the same page with all that it's like it's really special to have that and ultimately it just makes for an incredible experience for for our students and you can see the joy they have in doing these things and getting those unique opportunities and then also the the experience of the audience and in, in which i am i often find myself in it's it's really great and it's so it's it's so awesome to to hear how everyone else at school will, will react the next day. And then you see those kids who are in the performances. They just, they're just beaming from, from happiness, knowing that they could do something like that. So having, having collaboration is really, really crucial. So it's really, it's amazing and inspiring to see how you all do that. So our school's collaboration with Juilliard has presented many opportunities for our students and for our teachers as well. Talk a little bit about that collaboration with Juilliard and how it benefits our students and fine arts faculty. I, I enjoy our collaboration with Juilliard so much because for me as a teacher, it is PD that is so valuable. It's extremely practical, but it, I also find myself super inspired um, as an artist whenever I finish a PD session or a trip to Juilliard. Yeah, I second that. And also too, um, the kids, uh, you know, I teach this program and dance all the time and the kids just absolutely love the lessons and love exploring, love creating, um, love viewing 
uh, you know, dance in this way. And so for dance, it's been a really special addition to um, the program that we already had established. Um, and it's also, you know, having the support of our Juilliard curriculum specialist is really important and really helpful. And um, it makes me want to be a better teacher and it makes me feel supported to find my pathway to being a better teacher. So um, the collaboration has just been for me um, really rewarding. I would say it's valuable because the traditional music classroom is very teacher centered. Um, so the students sing something and then I tell them how to make it better and then they try it again. And then, you know, we practice it 10 times so that we always do it that way and we build a habit and then we move on to the next section and we do it again, the whole process again. And um, the, the Juilliard curriculum really encourages student reflection, student um, entry point, you know, multiple entry points into a topic of study. Um, so it, it allows them to just sort of reflect a little bit, a lot more deeply on um, the music that they're actually creating rather than just going through the steps that you tell them to do. Yeah, and by the end of every Juilliard lesson, the students have created something. So they're in the mm. driver's seat. They're the makers. And that, as you can imagine, just creates a lot of pride in their work. Yeah. That's any teacher, when we hear student-centered, that's really huge. That's really huge. Uh, okay. We haven't yet talked about uh, COVID, uh, but this global pandemic asked teachers to switch to virtual teaching on a dime. And while it was challenging for all teachers, it must have been especially challenging for performing arts teachers. So talk a little bit about the experience of teaching exclusively online this past spring. And then we'll also kind of get into what some of our plans are for this hybrid or concurrent form of teaching that we're going to try to undertake this fall. I, I'm not going to lie. It was very odd teaching online, <laughs> teaching theater online. And for a while, um, I couldn't put my finger on what exactly was missing. And then I realized it was the noise. A theater classroom is rarely quiet. And so I really, really missed that. Yeah, I remember thinking like, how in the world will we ever make this happen and make this successful, you know, having a dance class completely virtual um, and I found rather quickly, actually, that, you know, although the kids were, you know, potentially or, or probably were upset or frustrated, they also adapt really quickly. And um, I started finding that our dancers were moving and creating in a way that they might not have ever if we were in the studio or maybe not for a long time. Um, you know, I sort of shifted our projects a bit so that they were very catered to the space I knew they had. I mean, you know, m myself had just a tiny little space in one of my rooms to work with and um, giving them very specific concepts or projects that could work in the space they had um, just, you know, made a world of difference. You just had to rethink everything that we were doing and really fast. I feel like maybe we had 24 hours <laughs> before you know we started teaching virtually so um but I was incredibly impressed with how the kids handled it and the stuff that they produced um 
just blew me away. Yeah, I, I was. Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say I told you everything you just said about the kids. Just they seemed even more creative and took more risks. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah, I, it, it's so easy to like focus on the downside of being virtual. Obviously, nobody joins a choir because they want to sit by themselves in front of a screen or have to like record solo the alto part of some song, right? Um, but like, I think when you embrace the pros of the virtual experience, there, there, are, there are truly upsides, right? And, um, you know, and it, when you teach an ensemble that has 50 students in it, um, some get outshined. Right, so the virtual setting actually kind of levels the playing field and I got to hear people sing, people's individual voices or people respond to material or a reflection that they shared that I never would have heard in the class just because there's so many loud personalities always, you know, mm -hmm. hogging the forefront. Um, and I love those loud personalities. I am one of those. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it definitely allowed like new voices to come out in the group and students recognize that as well. So we would share stuff on like open forums and it was so nice to hear them encouraging each other on what they were creating and stuff like that. And the other benefit of it was getting to finally take a breather from such a rigorous performance calendar. I mean, we're all so ambitious here in our programs. We always have a competition coming up, another performance coming up, you know, and it's always like brand new material, you know, that you're just cramming in. So getting to step back and focus on some of the other aspects of like music education, like creativity and discovery and listening, just listening, that kind of thing was actually like, I think it's going to change. I think it changed the way that I will teach for the rest of my career. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, completely. So I think once you got beyond like feeling like you were, you know, talking to nobody because it's <laughs> you teach on Zoom. Once you got beyond that little, you know, bump in the road, it was like smooth sailing. Oh, but I, I do also want to like add to that, you know, as much as we um, can find the silver linings of virtual learning and can make the most of it, you you just can't recreate that in person ensemble feel which is what people come to the arts for and why they stay in the arts. It, it, it definitely reminds me of, and I wanna say that all three of you were able to make the best of, and everyone in the arts and, and really all of our colleagues were able to make the very best of a really tough situation. Uh, and to see some of the stuff that our kids turned out was just awesome. That does remind me though of like another COVID related thing, uh, Hamilton coming out on Disney Plus, like it's been amazing but like really it can't replace being in the seat and, and, and feeling it and having and that energy in your face. Um, you know, so that's, that's something that, that reminded me of it. You know, I, I've been lucky enough to see Hamilton and I loved it on TV, but just, and I loved every single dance performance, uh, theater performance, choir performance that we, that we saw virtually, but you do miss being in, in the chair, in the audience. Uh, and, and that's really well said. Live performance is a conversation between the audience and the performers. And when it's, when you have a, when you're on a screen, it's, it's a yeah. one-sided conversation. Definitely. So, so much like us, I, I, keep, I think about all summer, uh, you know, usually we're, we've had summer workouts, we've had our summer camp, we got, we'll have our, our football players in the weight room and conditioning and stuff. It's been really challenging to, by and large, have our student athletes to be like, to remain in like game ready shape, which is like totally understandable. But 
what advice would you give your performers in terms of in terms of staying sharp and prepared in their craft though we don't know the next time they're going to have like a real performance like when we talked about being in the theater or being on stage we don't know when that's necessarily going to come so what advice would you give to your performers about staying sharp during the pandemic considering that we don't know the next time they're going to they're going to give it give it a go i think for me one of one of like the positive outcomes of all of this was that um there were free dance classes virtually all over the like all the time every day any time of day um by some really amazing people all around the world and so i've definitely encouraged my students to um you know take any of those classes that they can um you know it if nothing else it helps them continue working on you know picking up choreography quickly working on new styles um and i think for us in dance a lot of the focus has gone back to the basics and although maybe that sounds like oh we're going back to you know beginner dance it's not necessarily that um but as far as you know the the ladder the steps of things you need to have in place to do those most advanced things or tricks oftentimes especially in our competitive atmosphere you're stuck on like doing as many turns as you can doing as you know jumping as high as you can and kicking your face and but taking a step back and making sure you're still doing those completely correctly um, is huge. And in this time, I feel like we've really been able to kind of hone back into the steps leading up to those big, those big things and those big moments. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree, Lisa. There, they so much um, sort of appeared online so um and was unlocked the national theater unlocked its vaults um shakespeare uh the globe was airing shakespeare plays broadway musicals were available for streaming that you would never have the chance to see um unless you went to the performing arts library at lincoln center and sat and watched those videos um so they just had the, they have so much more exposure to um to different kinds of theater um but what i really encourage my student students to do and also um, kind of push them to do is this is a great opportunity to get out of your comfort zone and create theater in a different way so we have our traditional proscenium stage it's time to break the fourth wall and try something new because you can make art and you can make theater no matter where you are love it love it yeah and i our kids the students have some of the best ideas sometimes like they truly think of things i never would have thought of. And it's not so much advice I give, but it's just an observation I've had. Like since we switched to virtual, I've had um, a student who put out an album and a student whose um, voice changed and he decided he wanted to redo his entire audition book so that he was ready for, you know, tenor songs now and, and different kinds of roles and stuff. And another student who really dedicated himself to um, learning to sight read and like become a better musician. And so for some students, they've really found this to be a great time to focus in on something that they really cared about, but just never really had the time or sort of the wherewithal with everything going on. Because like I mentioned, there's like, you know, I, I said, we have demanding schedules, the students do too. And I don't think they get to take those deep dives into certain um, areas of interest when, when they want to. So 
I think it's been a great opportunity for them. So like on, on that hand, I would say just go for it and explore what you want to explore, but also like be gentle with yourself. And if you don't, if you don't, you know, make, if you didn't make huge leaps this summer, that's fine. You know, you're going to, you're going to come back this fall and we're going to get you back in shape and, um, you're going to you know, be successful again. It's okay. <laughs> No, that's really powerful. All those things that, that you all said that there's so many opportunities that even though things aren't normal, we can still, we can still approach our craft and, and still remain sharp in, in a lot of meaningful ways. My last question uh, is something that in the craziness of these times, I think we can all kind of recenter on to kind of recapture the normalcy and, and our happiness. Uh, simply put, what's your favorite part about being a teacher? Honestly, um, I think, you know, above all else is just watching the kids succeed, like set goals for themselves and achieve what they were really, you know, working towards. Um, and maybe it's little steps along the way. Maybe it's one huge end goal, but whatever it may be, just seeing the kids happy and learning and um, improving and feeling good about themselves uh, is just really rewarding. I agree. It's when all those things come together and you get to see the growth, but then you also see the aha moment where the student realizes that they've grown. Yeah. And I think all of us have seen um, students who go on to pursue the art that we're teaching them in. And that's obviously very gratifying, but it's just as meaningful when, um, you know, that, that kid just was in choir for four years and it was their family and they really loved it and they felt like they could be themselves and express themselves through music. Um, and, and that's that's all it was for them. And they don't necessarily go on to pursue music, but maybe they appreciate it differently for the rest of their lives. So, you know, that's just as meaningful as, say, someone who goes on to pursue it. Yeah, and I think specifically in the arts, it's a place where we get to see students when become comfortable in their skin. And that's always an amazing moment as well. Tiffany, that is so well said. So well said. Uh, and, and I'm so bummed, but that's all the time we have for today. I want to thank Tiffany, Lisa, and Elizabeth for sitting down with me today. Your collegiality, your positive attitudes, and your friendship are flat out contagious. And I love talking with you all today. I hope we all can recapture some of the magic that you've discussed here today uh, in the coming school year. Next week, I'll sit down with the man, the myth, the legend, Eric Salamunson, AP Human Geo Teaching Extraordinaire. We'll discuss AP courses and how to prepare students for the rigor of those exams in the virtual realm. And a conversation with Sal would not be complete without a discussion about 20th century pop culture. You can listen to the Room 214 podcast on Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. This is Vinny Greco, hoping that you and your family are happy and healthy, and I wish you peace and much love.